I always say there is a Lina that lives the everyday life and there is a Garancha that has that part of the profession. It's for a couple of hours on the day of the show. Before and after, it's a Lina that lives the life. And sometimes when I see like a very romantic scene on stage, I'm like, this can't be acted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and very often it's not. Ah. Because you spend so much active daytime with that person much more than with your family. And because the text and the music, what you sing and the emotions that you have leads you to fall in love with that person. After seven, eight weeks, sometimes that you do in a production, you know, you do actually feel something for that person. Something yeah. for that person. These nights become very special, not only for the audience, because they see life emotions. It becomes also very special for that singer couple. You've transmitted what you live on that very moment. You know, these are the two characters. And sometimes you sing, sing, and it's like, oh, oh you know, <laughs> <it's> okay, <laughs> Aqua. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what the life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei. And each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. Bonjour, beautiful people, and welcome back to another marvelous episode of Are We On Air? I am so very excited about this week's guest. Someone that I've admired ever since I saw her perform at the Royal Opera House in London. A good few years back. And finally, I got to meet her, the opera star that is Elina Garancha. Elina was in Berlin rehearsing for the upcoming production of Aida at the Staatsoper Unter den Linden, which will premiere on October 3rd this year. And if you get the chance, then do yourself a favor and go see her live. We talked about Elina's life soundtrack of course, but also how the acted emotions on stage actually sometimes become real. And sometimes, as the audience, you can just feel the heat. But I also had to ask what her favorite stages as a singer are in the world. And no surprise here, the Met is one of them. And how the different sounds require different singing techniques. Oh, what a joy this was. From Strauss to Wagner to Queen, Barbara Streisand and the Gypsy Kings. We covered it all. Now, let's get to it as we have lots to talk about. So welcome to Are We On Air? <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's such an honor. And we're in the, in the beautiful, beautiful Apollo Saal. <laughs> yes. And Berlin Staatsoper. Yeah, and Berlin Staatsoper. Many parties we have celebrated here. Oh, I yeah? probably will in the future. This is the reception room and the party room after the opening nights. Ah, okay. So these walls can tell quite some secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm gonna have, you're going to have a premiere here soon for AIDA, early October. That's right. That's very exciting. And you just had some rehearsals. Yes, well, I mean, now the preparation of that one is uh, really very tense. I mean, we spend here eight to ten hours in a theater in the morning. Usually you come in and then if you have two hours, you know, to go home or to the hotel or yeah. apartment, whatever, it sometimes is too tiresome even. So we eat here, we go to the dressing room, we lay down, we uh, maybe catnap a little bit <laughs> and then we go again uh, to rehearsal. So the intense, intensity really is very strong and, and very, very present. But, you know. We do it, and then uh, we bring out the miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Magic does. Eight to ten hours. Is that Well, yeah, I mean, the last weeks really are very, very uh, heavy. You know, you have a musical um, rehearsals and checkups. You have a costume. Maybe you need to change something. Then you have to try the wigs and then the stage rehearsals, uh, scene rehearsals for you as a you know couple on the st on yeah. opera. And then you have a choir scenes. The technical, yesterday night we had the technical rehearsal where they all explain us about the sinking and, and uplifting uh, certain details of the scenery. So, yeah, it, it becomes a long day. Because some of the pieces, as an artist, you're obviously familiar with, or you know, I guess, some of the pieces off by heart by now. Well, every piece that I sing, I know by heart. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. But it's true that, you know, once you've done it, once the next time, it only uh, the surroundings change, the role mm. stays the same, mm. and the musical material stays the same. Uh, it's, you know... 
we sing in the Verdi operas from many, many years yeah. back. But we have a new production and we have a new set designs and we have uh, new people who come in. So all of us, we need to kind of find each other. And uh, Aida particularly, the Verdi's Aida is a massive piece with a lot of orchestras and ballets and mm. choirs. And so it's 100 people, 120 people on the stage. You need to coordinate them. Wow. Well, but before we go to today and what you're doing over the next few weeks, let's start when it all began with what's your earliest significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist? Well, you see, my mom was a singer, mm -hmm. so I would say that probably the first vibration of the sound was in the belly of my mom. Mm -hmm. And because I remember actually her preparing music and, and going and singing the concerts, I probably would say that that is my first memory of actually music. My dad was a conductor, so I grew up in that all, but I cannot now tell you which was the song that I heard first. <laughs> you the heard only in thing, the, in the room. <laughs> exactly. The only thing is that when I then got older and I started to practice myself um, and was becoming a singer, there were so many melodies that I would open the score looking for the new songs to song and I was, oh, oh, I know this. So, you know, it has somehow integrated in my background uh, chip of my, my memory bank, you know, and uh, so I would probably would say that I uh, definitely remember uh, recordings of Queen, Freddie Mercury, you know, long play that we yes. had. I remember um, Wagner Stanhäuser. By the age of seven, I went to the opera and I left after the first half because I really didn't understand anything that was going on. Theater music, obviously a lot, yeah. a lot of different flashes, you would say, you know, it's very yeah. difficult for me in my life in general, limit me for myself, for, yeah. you know, one thing like favorite dish. I don't have favorite dish, you know, or, or favorite What is color. Favorite dish? <laughs> <laughs> impossible. On that impossible. note. <laughs> no, impossible. Well, I'd like to limit you by <laughs> with three tracks or three records that define who you are. Very hard. It really is Could extremely hard. Could be even stuff that's on hard. the radio. Yes, but you know, I mean, there are a couple of pieces. I, I might extend it because all of them have some kind of a, a different impact on me. Mm -hmm. uh, I love Piazzolla and I love Rhythm and I love South America. So Yo Soy Maria probably is the one where I, when I feel that when I hear that song, I can rip the world apart. It, it really is extremely powerful uh, rhythm and also the, the, the text that she sings. Uh, that maybe is one of the pieces that I love very, very much. Yo soy Maria, de Buenos Aires. De Buenos Aires, María, no ven quién soy yo. María Tango, María de la Raval, María Noche, María Pasión Fatal, María del Amor, de Buenos Aires soy yo. Yo soy María de Buenos Aires. Si en este barrio la gente pregunta quién soy, I have my cry music, which is from George Michael, The Careless Whisper. And every time when I feel somehow, you know, I need to let it go, I put that song on a repeat, you know, and by the 12th time, I've, you know, I'm done. <laughs> so no. to say, exactly. Thank you, good night. <laughs>
you know, and then really is uh, according to my day kind of a feeling. Something from Michael Jackson, maybe. When I go to run, I actually, my candy man is from Christina Aguilera, is my perfect rhythm of my step on the running machine. Really? So particularly if I go overseas and, you know, with the jet lag, you don't know what it was. Yeah. So by four o'clock, I put candy man again on the repeat and I run my kilometers with that song. you know, and a couple of other other pieces. So that's why I tell you, it literally, I'm like an octopus, you know, octopus goes and adjusts to the white table, to the oh, yeah. sands, to the pink, you know, whatever. So I'm like that. Whatever the day brings, you know, the, then the music kind of also affects my mood. Well, it's never definite. It changes within our, our soundtrack to our life changes just with the way our lives changes. But there are always moments that when you, just like a scent, when you hear something mm. like with your mother's womb, it just takes you back yeah. to that moment right away. The puff sound. Oh, Freddie Mercury, it was just his auction just now, like at Sotheby's, mm. they sold off everything of his records, uh, items. Well, you, what's your favorite Queen record or track? I think the Bohemian Rhapsody, I just absolutely love it. It's, it's, of course. It's, <laughs> it, it just has a vulnerability, I think, you know, in a way also the hidden vulnerability in that one, but he was just a genius. So it was an absolutely, you know, the movie and, and his interviews, if you go YouTube nowadays, mm. it's just a miracle, you know. I find uh, the, all the strong personalities, and I'm particularly interested not of the days of glory, it's on the days of the doubts and then mm -hmm. the days of, you know, sadness and loneliness. And, and so very often you, you actually hear, and I read when I was becoming a singer myself, I read a lot of biographies and I was, mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure out what was the cracking point for them, you know, to look and exit from their everyday life or what made them what they have become now. And, and so uh, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. How would you describe your, yourself as an artist? Would you say that you're a very organized person, very spontaneous person, or how would you say? No, myself as an artist. I'm just a musical prostitute, my dear. Just a, <laughs> it's basically that. Organized or not? Oh, who cares? Disorganized and organized. That's an asshole question to ask anybody. It's just, um, I don't know, I'm just me, you know, I'm just me. I'm very disorganized at times, I'm organized at times, and uh, I'm just me. 
That's why I started this conversation series, because I wanted to figure out how the cultural greats made it. <laughs> I'm trying to figure you out. That's how I can learn from you. <laughs> well, I mean, I say it was a desperate, desperate outcome because I wanted to be an actress and I failed ah. in exams. They didn't accept me. Then I wanted to be a, a, like a cultural attaché of organizing the things. But really? I can't make a business plan like <laughs> yeah. write it down. I have no patience of reading all of the emails and everything. Well, you're not good with Excel, is that what you're No, awful, awful, awful. I was trying to sell furniture and I was so confused really? which piece belonged to which <laughs> by the presentation and a couple of other things and because I was singing in my dad's choir and because yeah. I was somehow uh, musically let's say um, active uh, mm. playing the piano and stuff and I thought oh my god what else I said well let's try singing and thank god it, it happened <laughs> knock on wood <laughs> yeah really so it was it was a coincidence I wanted to go on stage I actually wanted to be a musical singer and I thought you know like Barbara Streisand it was so Sweet. phenomenal uh, theater, you know, uh, Liza uh, Minnelli and, and things like that. I thought this is what it is. Uh, the costumes, the, the lights, theater, speaking, dancing, you know, all, all of that together. together. And I thought this, this is just amazing. But, you know, somehow it has happened that uh, I still can do it, <laughs> just in a slightly different parallel. It's yeah. a different universe. And in a way, you know, it, it's it's amazing how how different this art form is and yet how direct in comparison actually it speaks to the people. So mm. uh, in a way you would say that classical music maybe has a longevity, you know, on uh, centuries. Yes. And, and we are kind of taking that history and bringing it out again, whereas the musical maybe has a shorter span of, of life. Yeah, as Sir Norm Rosenthal was also on the show, he calls it, this is real music because it just stays for our, past <laughs> our lives. You know? It's like, who knows if people talk about David Bowie in 100 or 200 years, but they will talk about Mozart. Well, but yes, but you knows? know, what well, has to be realistic. I mean, Mozart also wrote many operas that nobody really knows yeah. or they've been played once or twice. And, yeah. and uh, you know, not every genius was genius in every opera piece that they've written. That's true. The same with the Verdi or, or, you know, with Wagner. There are a lot of pieces that we listen, but if you would look into the Verdi, you would name four, five, maybe six pieces that on a daily basis, and there must be a reason why the rest of them are not as present. Hey, I would be happy just to have five. <laughs> <laughs> as well. I'll take one. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Barbara Streisand while we talk about Barbara Streisand? Oh, yes, I, I love people. People. People who need people. the one of the songs and from Yentl that movie of the Yentl mm. that she does is just Papa can you hear me that's that maybe is also one of the the, the songs that I listen a lot to kind of find myself again you know or oh, in wow. the moments of vulnerability, vulnerability yes yeah. because the text and, and the way she also sings is just uh, unbelievable really it's unbelievable Papa can you hear me Papa can you see me Father, can you find me in the night? Papa, are you near me? Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you help me not be frightened? Looking at the skies, I seem to see a million eyes. Which ones are yours? Where are you now that yesterday as we've got I mean, opera or Broadway, it's so close. It's I don't think it's that, in terms of 
expressing emotions. Yeah, classical singer and classical opera singer. In a way, I believe, and I, I can hear sometimes also even the Frank Sinatra, you know, they yeah. did have a, a training that wasn't just a pop music training. Mm. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. You know, it, it, it was different breathing also and the, the way they produced the sound. You know, nowadays I, I feel when I hear a lot of, of pop singers singing very nasally, you know, and, and technically not, let's say, in ideal position as me as a, a real you know, singer. practically trained, <laughs> yes, no, classically untrue. trained singer, you know, yeah. I mean, because we don't have microphones, you yeah. have to think. We go in a house like Metropolitan with 4,000 people in there and we sing without yeah. uh, mics. So it's all what our body can produce. You know, the pressure, the muscles, the tension, the vocal cords, you know, we use it differently. So mm. when I hear somebody, I say, oh, you know, come relax, breathe deeper, you know, just relax the, the soft palate, just, you know, place the voice somewhere else. So that's why at home I usually don't listen opera because yeah. I permanently am on a scan of hearing what they do. I was about do. to ask you, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I love pop music because it just becomes uh, very, very independent. But you don't analyze technically when you hear, let's say you're in, in a taxi here and you're, I don't know, Madonna comes on. Do you listen to her? You, no. You just enjoy the music? I just enjoy the yeah. music. And it's strange enough if I would, if you would ask me now to repeat the words of all of these songs that I've heard for 70, 100 times, I can't. Careless Whisper. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really, I can't. And, you yeah. know, I maybe I would remember the first phrase and then I don't know the text anymore because yeah. I shut out my professional memory box and yeah. I just enjoyed the melody and I just the, enjoyed the text at that very moment, you know, but I wouldn't be able to recite the, the song that I've heard for 300 times, uh, you know, the Candyman. I, I, I can't say the text. I just know it's Candyman, Candyman, but the rest, you know, when I would hear it, I know what it is, yeah. you know, and enjoy it every time. But it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and you let it go straight to the heart. Yeah. And, yeah. But then how important is actually the sound of the theatres, of the rooms then? I mean, I'm sure you have some preferences of different theatres. Well, they obviously, I mean, there are houses which have been built in an old style, as I would say, where people really thought about mm, the walls um, um, being done by metal or by by wood or, or by, you know, concrete that bounces off about the chairs fitted with the velour or, you know, not, not as a hard and absorbent material mm. like, um, like silk, for example, would be. There are houses where you feel that you can sink freer because the voice relaxes, you know, you don't need to concentrate so much. There are the drier houses where you really need to know what you're doing so the sound penetrates. We sing above. But we have to be heard above the 60, 80 people orchestra, you know, so everything that bounces back helps you like this hall has a very very big echo mm -hmm. so if i would sing here with the piano you have to give like one third yeah. of the quality of your voice because the room speaks for you whereas you would go like in a congress hall where everything's with the soft you would really need to work to make that sound vibrate do you have a your top three stages are you allowed to say that? I don't know. But in terms of sound, uh, nothing else. I mean, I, I, mean, I have to tell you, I love to sing in, in Metropolitan. That, mm -hmm. that house has a wonderful acoustic. Teatro Colón uh, in Buenos Aires, obviously, is magical. I love Vienna. Really, really enjoy singing there. Also Munich. Um, Munich is a slightly bigger house and, and you need to kind of accept the size of it mm -hmm. being in European houses. I, in general, like big houses. You know, to, to have audience very close is very, very intimidating in yeah. a way because... If you go on a stage and you sing, it becomes a very personal, very intimate and very kind of naked feeling process. So in the opera, once you have the people a little bit further away, you know, it's also physical. 
it's attention, it's sometimes the voice, you know, a lot of muscle work and everything. And, mm. and if you don't have the public as close observing literally all your feelings <laughs> of your teeth by high notes, when you're maximal, <laughs> it's kind of relaxes you a bit, yeah. I first saw you and I was blown away. So really at the Royal Opera, which is smaller, it's more intimate. And talking about velvety, it feels very intimate. Hmm. But you have an incredible stage presence. I mean, your voice, of course, but, you know, we reference some some Broadway here and, you know, but there's so much emotion in your body language. It's incredible. Uh, that's why that's when I fell in love. I was like, you have to come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love theater. Yeah. I love theater and I'm physical in that. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I believe that as long as your body allows you to do that and your technique and your breathing uh, supports it, I think you have to go for it. You know, the great actors, if you would look the great actors of on, on the Broadway or on the theater, you know, the way they walk, the way they sit down, the way they gestures, you know, and you can, you can see by really also in a cinematic uh, world, there are couple of little details where great actors always bring it in. You know, yeah. Meryl Streep has her look that she uses. That's all the way she kind of turns the head. You know, you, you look at Jack Nicholson and, and um, or Robert De Niro. You know, I adore Robert De Niro. He has that kind of light, smirky kind of smile, you know. And, and I believe that in opera, we can bring those details, particularly now with, with the HDs. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, who have seen that in a theater says, oh, my God, there is so much going on. It's not just the sound that you can see for the third balcony at the last row. Yeah. You know what I see? Yeah. So and I was because my mom was working also in a drama theater and I wanted to become a drama mm. theater. I spent a lot of time of actors learning the body language, you know, how the back can play your state of mind, mm. how just one gesture of the hand, you know, declares your position, you know, and, and, and I love to do that. And it, very often it helps me also like in a lightning, you know, discharge the energy that has built up and touching something or, or, or moving something. It just kind of gives either an extra impactus or releases for the next phrase that's coming. And, and I use it very, very selfishly also. And I, I, I believe that sometimes for some of my colleagues, it's maybe too much, you know, and I have to Kind of blown myself. Piano, piano. Well, because I grew up in the countryside and my yeah. grandparents uh, had a had a farm, so you know I, I rid the horses without the saddle, and and uh, you know wow. I, I I jumped on the on the cows and pretended they are my horses. So I'm, in that respect, <laughs> I'm wild, you know. And and um, yeah. as long as I can do it, I want to do it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you riding some cows and horses. Why not? Talk about acting and, and classical music, life is beautiful. I think your rendition of, of Hoffmann, of Aufenbach, is beyond. Thank you. What's your take of that scene, I guess, or that movie and classical music generally in movies, how it interacts with the acting as well on screen? The classical music, you yeah. mean? I think nowadays uh, we are taking that curtain of, of distance away. You know, a, a lot of people are, are less scared of actually entering the opera house and coming into the opera because we are trying also to modernize it and even though for many the way of oh, singing seems to be comical uh, you mm -hmm. know because it's not in a way natural of course uh, because on a daily basis nobody would oh, oh, oh you know sing like that however I think that the vibration that the classical music uh, brings out because it's a life experience and because it's live production all on the sound in that evening with the, every energy that is in the house on that evening, it becomes very, very special. And I believe that if you would dig a little bit deeper, 
and the stories from 200 years ago, if you take away the crown, if you take away, uh, yeah, you know, the, the stories of the women movements and whatever nowadays it would be, it becomes very legitimate to the nowadays. Um, you know, you look at the Carmen, a lot of women get killed at the end. You know, you look at uh, Lady Macbeth, a lot of going uh, on in the, in the power games. You know, you, you look at the patriarchal uh, story like Aida in a way, you know, the same is still going on, just in a different shape. Mm. And I think if the people would open a little bit more their eyes uh, also, you know, and not just think, oh, you know, opera, it's old stuff and blah, blah, blah. But you would try to get these stories and relate and actually see that the neighbor has this story going on, you know, with the, either the lovers or the family drama or, or whatever. So I think also with the modern technology that we have with the with the projections, with the costume possibilities, with the HDs, as I mentioned before, also collaborating, um, you know, with the, uh, in a more modern way of expressing, I think we can actually bring it very close and make it very, very cinematic. It's funny you mention that because I'm, I'm th always thinking, how can you reach a younger, more a broader audience with classical music without them feeling intimidated by it. Yeah, I think that the problem is that they are confronted with it as a shock mm. and they do not have a slow step into it. And I believe that that starts in the school. You have to give a kid at the age of seven or eight first touch with it. You mm. bring it to the story like Magic Flute or Barbiere di Sevilla or Carmen for that matter, you know. You bring something that is easy to understand. You can't start uh, uh, 16, exactly. <laughs> you can't bring a 16 years old into <laughs> Wozzeck, yeah, or into the Wagner, Dimmer, you know, and expect them to, to live fascinated about it. You know, miracles do happen, yeah. but, you know, far too, far too seldom. And I think that, for example, in my times, when I was growing yeah. up in a, in a school, we were brought into the musical programs where a symphony orchestra with a conductor would take apart the Peter and a Wolf. Mm. And they would show different instruments and they would say where the story goes and blah, blah, blah. And then you would go, um, like there is in the in Vienna Staatsoper, you have the um, Fledermaus, you have a magic flute for all, you know, and you have a costumes coming in. And it becomes like a Lion King a little mm. bit, you know. So if you would introduce the touch of music, what it is, don't bring them to Mahler Symphony, you know. You can bring them to Mozart Symphony. Mm. Um, don't don't take them, as I said, to Wagner. Bring them to, to something much lighter, Cavalieri Rusticano, one hour, 15. The story is very real. It's very emotional. The music is overwhelming, you know. Why not to that? Uh, and choose, uh, you know, a good program. Every opera house has nowadays uh, student tickets, you know, and access for the general rehearsals, for example. They actually don't even pay. They have yeah. a program education, you know. Why don't you bring to the opera an excursion of the, of the kids at the age of 12, you know, show them what it is, tell them the story, make make it funny. Yeah. You know, we all ha we also have funny stories in opera houses yeah. that has happened, you know, so yeah. why not to turn the twist instead of, you know, classical music, very serious, you know, you study 25 years and then you can become and sometimes you don't make it. Why that part? You can turn it from the other angle. Very smart way to approach it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's, is that maybe after this thing in Korea, maybe where you could see yourself? You know. Back to the cultural attaché. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm very happy of sharing my experience, yeah. you know, and telling the stories. And I like to talk to people and I like to open their eyes in a certain way. My ideal future continuation would be actually teaching for, for and being the bridge for the young students who have just finished, are about to finish their mm. studies and yet not have entered the theater, you know, that bridge between what you do, because some young singers are ready to go into the theater and start to work. Some needs a master's, some needs go to the opera studios, mm. you know, some needs can go to the small house with the leading rows, some can go to the big house with the small rows and just to help them a little bit, because I've gone through that. And I know nearly every theater, you know, and I know now the intendants and I know how the the, the future might look, uh, agencies, you know. And so that would interest me a lot. And because mm -hmm. I have a very wide repertoire so that I've been singing and been working with a lot of coaches and a lot of great people who taught me what's the difference between Mozart and and. Uh, um, Puccini, you know, and, and how you sing Verismo and, and what bel canto requires, so to say. And I would like to share that because it it, uh, it justifies the the time that I invested that it can be helped not only egoistically for me, but also bring that also the input, let's say, 
as value in a society. Mm. Not only now that mm -hmm. I can sing and that people say that my voice, you know, my performance gives them something. But, you know, once I cannot sing, I don't want to die. You know, I would still would like to yeah. continue to to share. Be a mentor. Yeah. Well, to our listeners who might not be familiar with classical music, what is the difference between Mozart and Puccini? Well, it is the phrasing, definitely. It's the way you set the voice. It's the line of the of the one phrase that you would do. Uh, you can't slide as much. It's just, you know, very purely gesagt. The Mozart is very instrumental way of singing. Mm -hmm. um, the body is, um, how should I say, needs to react in advance much more to be able to place a pure, uh, clear sound. Whether mm -hmm. it's with a Puccini, you can drag it, you can expand it, you can uh, slide it, you can, you know, uh, open it up. Is that because of cultural differences? Like German, no, it's the way, no, it's the way Italian? it's written also. It's also the orchestration below it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you would look, um, if would you look very often in, in the big arias, you, you have a couple of instruments only playing, whereas the Puccini would go with the big lines, you know, whenever everybody <laughs> blows, blows the, the sound out of violin or out of the horn. So the way you would enter the phrase and what you would do with the phrase and with the voice, you know, uh -huh. or, or instead of ta, ta, ta. <laughs> so you, you know, that's the, that's also the technical axis or the technical introduction, introduction and translation. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, what you do with your body. Beautiful. To go slightly more intimate. <laughs> oui. <laughs> oui. <laughs> What's your go to falling in love or heartbreak song? I think we got heartbreak through careless whisper. So it's really falling in love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that song really serves me quite a lot. I mentioned also the Yentl. I think that one goes very well. To be honest, I mean, when i really, really heartbroken, really heartbroken, I go out of the house. I go out of the house in the woods. I go somewhere by the sea. And I, do not, I don't need in that moment to have a... I need wind, I think. I need nature that just kind of blows it out, you know, of my head. I th maybe the Jackson, the, the world, you know, yes, that one maybe would rip it kind of apart a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, um, I wouldn't know now really any better that that would be the first impulse to put it. I think that probably these two, three songs would kind of trigger it. And wah, wah, wah. <laughs> There's a place in your heart and I know that it is love brighter than tomorrow and if you really try you'll find there's no need to cry in this place you feel there's no hurt or sorrow there are ways to get there if you care enough for the living make a little space make a better place heal the world I mean, it's not wow, wow, wow. It's more like no, I know. Yes, I know. No, but more. exactly. <laughs> I think that Ravel's Bolero definitely yeah. is one of the pieces that you would just uh, would want to jump on that person that you know you <laughs> very, very uh, deeply desire. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, when I'm happy or when I'm completely in love, I don't need music. I have that energy on my own. Mm -hmm. And I, I, how should I say, I wake up in the morning and, and I'm already there. It's those days when I'm tired 
or when I'm very sad, you know, the walls of Janub, the way it starts and then it just grows into it, you know, that's that's the, also the music when I sometimes come into the theater and say, oof, kind of like hot, hot. Now, one song now falls me in, in uh, the Kurt Elling. I love Kurt Elling, mm. the nature boy. There was a boy, one very... There was a boy, a certain strange enchanted boy. They said he'd traveled very far, very far over land. A little shy and sad of eye, but very wise was he. I love that song, and he has he has a rendition there where it's in a life concert where he does and it starts very slowly with the piano and him just singing a cappella and then it just goes and then then there's a variation with the piano and stuff and you know it's like seven minutes long or something so it's it's a great song for me as well but as i said when i'm happy in love i don't need it i i music myself uh, <laughs> <laughs> i love it no it's just because you know i mean i have to tell you when I'm at, at home and yeah. I'm a mom and I'm, you know, a housewife and, and blah, 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 yeah. I have no time for that. There is the routine of the day that you have. Awesome. It's those days when I'm alone, like now in Berlin, you know, yeah. I'm alone here and I'm in a production and stuff. I kind of have time between the activities that I do in a theater, you know, to kind of think actually what I feel yeah. or what I need or, you know, well, maybe maybe there is a, you know, love in the air when you feel that with a, with a colleague you have such a rapport and, and you want to, trust that person to be truthful when you mm. go then on the stage, you know? So you might have a little armor flying somewhere around and you think, you know, wow, now it really is the time. But I separate those people very much. I always say there is a Lena that lives the everyday life and there is a Garancha that has that part of the profession, mm. which, you know, for, for a lot of people uh, is very, and for me at times, is very glamorous and, and very exciting. You, you meet great people, you travel great places and stuff. However, it's a part it's for a couple of hours on the day of the show. Before and after, it's Elena that lives the life. And sometimes when I see like a very romantic scene on stage, I'm like, this can't be acted. That is <laughs> <laughs> and very often it's not. Ah, no, so... and very often it's not. You know, it's hard to say. When you, I think that's why probably there are so many couples who join as a couple whilst they are shooting a movie how was they are doing a theater because you spend active daytime with that person much more than with your family. Mm. And because the text and the music, what you sing and the emotions that you, that you have leads you to fall in love with that person, you know? And then you have a duet and there is a lot of, I have a funny story. I was doing a common production and the second act is becomes very intimate because when, you know, you have that scene when he comes from the prison to see her, you know, and she dances around and very often you land on the floor on a table or something like that. And uh, there was change of the change of the uh, scene uh, rehearsal or something. So I come in and we start to, to do exactly that without actually getting to that scene. We just started to do the scene and we were so funny that we uh, ta -ta -ta, we kind of landed on the thing and the tenor was between my legs, so to say, on the table. I said, hello, I'm Melina. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, hello, I'm so-and-so. You know, <laughs> you know it, it just straight to the business, so to say. And I believe that after seven, eight weeks, in terms that you do in a production, you know, you do actually feel something for that, something yeah. for that person, you know. And, and I think that these nights become very special, not only for the audience, because they see life emotions. It becomes also very special for that singer couple that they do, because you've transmitted what you lived on that very moment. Not now Elena and Mark or Elena and Peter or Elena and blah, blah, blah. You have Carmen and Don Jose. 
or you have Romeo and and uh, Juliet, or you have uh, what you know, Werther and Charlotte. You know, these are the two characters. And sometimes you sing, sing, and it's like, oh, blah, you know, okay, aqua. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, yeah, it does happen. Oh wow, I don't know. We have the answer. <laughs> What's the sexiest song? Oh, I'm just sexy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oof, I don't know. Really, I don't know. I mean, for the classical music, definitely what I mentioned from Ravel and Bolero mm-hmm. is definitely the piece that I think in case you don't know how to start it, just put that music and, uh, you know, it's going to develop on itself. <laughs> Switch up the light and see what happens. <laughs> in a pop music, I wouldn't know. I never needed it, really. I mean, everything to do with the guitar would be my trigger, you know, like Spanish acoustic guitar would, uh, uh, you know, with a glass of wine would definitely guide me into the right direction. I love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Gypsy Kings are probably, you know, this is for me very erotic music, I would say. That group, I think they was was called that time, so I don't know if, you know, nowadays we can still name them that, but uh, I know them from like 90s, 80s, something like that. That would definitely be something that I would say... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Well, to wrap up our little chat, <laughs> if your life would be a movie, what song would play in the end credits in your Netflix documentary? <laughs> well, from one side, I would say I don't care because once I'm dead, you know, well, I, does, I didn't say you're going to be dead. I'm just like, it's no, like no, your but, biography. Yeah. Some I think that this this song well the rainbow because it's such a positive and I think it's such a sunny and light and pure and and uh, transparent you know so positive song I think I would I probably would like that to have because I think it it just carries you. Then there is a from Balfame. I dreamed that I dreamed I dwelt in marble halls with vessels and serfs at my side. And of all who assembled within those walls that I was the I think it's also the the song, the the gypsy song. Something like that would definitely also trigger me. From Strauss, vegan lead, I love it. Absolutely love it.
But I mean, if the one one you would choose, are probably the somewhere over the rainbow. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on air. My with pleasure. Us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Someday I wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me, where troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where. tuning in this week. If you want to listen to the full playlist, visit areonair.com or our Spotify channel. You can also find us on Instagram and on YouTube at areonair. And a big thank you to my wonderful team at Studio Noi. I'm Armand Nafei and I'll speak to you soon.